Good morning. Good morning, everyone here. Good morning, everyone online. Uh, my name is Joel. I pastor Gospel City. It's a true uh, privilege uh, to be able to uh, share the word today um, in light of everyone being quarantined, basically, where no one's leaving anywhere. Uh, thank you, God, for the technology that we have to be able to uh, worship together. My encouragement uh, to you, everyone, especially at home, uh, is that we know that it doesn't seem like church. It doesn't seem like uh, what you're doing at home is the same thing that happens in your New Philly space, King's Cross space, Gospel City space. But uh, if you don't know by now, we worship by faith. I encourage you uh, to do your best to, even though you're in your pajamas most likely, uh, to hear the word. And then after the word, we're going to actually spend uh, some time to actually pray together. And we know the temptation will be to maybe even sign off after the word because you feel like you were fed. But the whole idea of three churches coming together, um, it's so that we can be one church for this time, for one purpose, for one mission, which is to love Korea. Uh, there's a lot to pray for for Korea, not just because of the coronavirus, but all the things that we are struggling through here as a nation. So if you are also watching us from abroad, uh, thank you for joining in. Uh, and we hope that it leads you to a greater uh, moment of faith, hope, but also uh, prayer. And so if you haven't already, please do comment uh, if you are uh, watching from home. And just let us know where you're at, because I think that... Uh, this coronavirus for his uh, good pleasure. So let me pray for us as we get started. Father, we do thank you that so often uh, we're so used to uh, this, a certain space being church. But God, we've heard over and over and over, church is not a building, it's the people. So God, even now, we ask by your grace through the Spirit, May the very living rooms that, that we do uh, home at, the very TV screens that are merely for entertainment, God, we pray that all of this would be transformed uh, to a spiritual purpose, one that will lead to an eternal glory. And God, I pray that you would move us, whether we're watching from home. I know other people are in Guam, in Thailand, in the U.S. Uh, God, I pray that though we may... Uh, feel like it's a break from life. May we understand that this is a great opportunity for the God at this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So it is a unique time uh, to be in Korea. Uh, if, uh, if you are in Korea, uh, for me, uh, I haven't left home all week, and it's been quite nice. It's kind of a break. Uh, I know some church members who are in Guam right now, uh, shout out to you, uh, in Thailand, in the U.S., and it's for good reason. Uh, you can do everything online, so you've left uh, this land. But the encouragement is to not run away, to not flee, to not check out, because this is a time for the church to be the church, and this is a time for us to pray. 
And so our hope is that even this, this sermon title, it's called Pray for Korea. Because whether you're in Korea or not, whether you're Korean or not, our hope is that uh, you have a burden to pray because of today. The numbers of COVID-19, the infections here in Korea, are, so it's over uh, 7,000 right now. Hospitals are filled. Uh, people are quarantined. Uh, nursing homes, especially, the infections there are, are skyrocketing. And, we, and if you followed the news of COVID-19, we have to be most uh, prayerful for the elderly here. Uh, but with that, um, we want you to know that God's in control. He always has been, no matter when the church is, is even persecuted, the very church itself, God has used that to be a blessing. So I know that the Lord is in control of all that's going on. And if you have the heart to hear, the ears to hear, to know that God wants you, if you're, if you're tuning in, uh, to pray. Because I think what uh, we are wrestling with as a people here in Korea is where is the hope, right? If our own bodies fail us, if society, just because of a virus, everything shuts down, we see how frail it is. Really, what's the hope of life if we're just simply trying to survive? And so with that, uh, open up your Bibles to First Peter uh, chapter 1, 1 to 20. It will not be put up on screen, uh, so please do uh, find your Bible. Uh, if you're watching this on your phone, uh, we ask for you to find that physical Bible. And uh, let's read this together. Apostle uh, Peter writes this uh, to the church that's been dispersed uh, to modern-day Turkey. And it's these Christians that are being persecuted. And for them, they're being persecuted. They're actually going through difficulties because of the very faith that they have. And so all the more, they're wrestling through, where is the hope? We thought this faith is supposed to give us something better. And this is the idea that we see that you can maintain hope regardless of your circumstance. Whatever you are going through, whatever any nation is going through, whatever the world is going through, there is a way in which a Christian can maintain hope, joy, and faith. So First Peter 1, 1-12, let me read it for us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested Genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in, uh, in, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels look long to look. The very theme of this passage is hope. As the, the, the believers were dispersed, persecuted for their faith, what Peter starts off with is how you can have hope in these challenges. And so as they're created for hope, they're searching for hope. And that's the first big idea that we'll be looking into, searching for hope. Where is the hope? Uh, tell your neighbor, if you're at home, tell your neighbor, ask your neighbor, where's the hope? Where is the hope? Uh, Peter starts off from the beginning in verse 1, revealing and reminding the people who he is. He's an apostle. He's authorized to share God's word. So everything that he's going to write from here on out, he wants the people to understand this is important. And then he sets the tone in verse 1 by saying, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And it's important to know how you are greeted. Right? If a friend comes up to you and says, Hey, good friend, right? best friend, BFF. If that is your relationship, you know uh, the standing that you have. In this, he doesn't say believers. He doesn't say brothers. He chooses to address the people as elect exiles. It's interesting because those two terms are paradoxical in nature. It's what you would call an oxymoron. Right? Like, act naturally is an oxymoron. How do you act naturally, right? Uh, pretty ugly is an oxymoron. How, are, how, is something pretty, how is something pretty ugly, right? Seriously funny. These are two words put together to clarify a greater meaning. And that's what's happening here. Elect exiles. Chosen elect exiles. Outsiders. You're chosen by God, exiles of the world. And that's our story, believer. If that is you, that is your struggle. The connotation of it is something like a resident alien. An alien of any country, you know that it's good, but it's not quite a citizen. And that's what Peter is getting at. This world, at times, it's beautiful, it's comfortable, it's good. But when you, when something like Corona, uh, COVID nineteen, hits the world on this massive scale, you're reminded, I don't belong, right? I don't belong here. Something is off, and that's the case with the world. As believers, we know that on a very fine, a very uh, defined level, 
that we'll never be able to consider this home. But you don't even have to be a believer to experience that. We're reminded regularly, there's something very wrong with this world. We're reminded very, very regularly that we don't belong. Because the ideal of exile, to be an outsider, it's like the idea if you um, experienced this growing up, uh, maybe you're picked last on a team, right? It's like that feeling of, I don't want to be the last one, and you're the last one to be picked, right? It's like that sense of, I don't belong. Everyone else is kind of athletic, but me, right? That's like the idea. It's like when your friends go out, for the weekend, and you never get a phone call, and then you see them all hanging out on Instagram. Right? It's that feeling of, you're an outsider, you don't belong. And that's what this virus is telling us, very, very clearly. No matter how much we fight it, it seems like corona has won in one sense, right? It's basically entered into every, uh, every uh, continent, and it's, it's this fear that everybody has. And again, you don't have to be a Christian to understand what it means to be an exile. Because in one sense, we're all, we've all experienced that at some point here in life. And as we want to pray for Korea, uh, we, you know, many of you do know that it's the, the, the amount of cases in Korea is the second most of any country. And so please do pray for Korea. But as we are praying for Korea, I want to encourage you to pray for Korea, not just for healing but for this nation to find hope in God and God alone. Uh, since my time in Korea, a lot's changed. Uh, even in the past three or four years, like K-pop is more popular than ever. K-beauty is now uh, a thing to be, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good find in America. But uh, I, I do want you to know, uh, as you pray for our nation, uh, not just to pray for healing, but for uh, us to be able to find hope in God. Because I just would even want to share uh, statistics from uh, 2018. Uh, in one uh, article, one report uh, put this out. The good news is this. Uh, South Korean children and teenagers are more satisfied with their lives than before. Good news. Bad news. But they're still the most unhappy of their developed peer countries. That's this nation. People in this nation understand very clearly that they are in some form or fashion an exile, an outsider, not good enough, whether it's their grades, whether it's their uh, family, family and their own reputation. And this is insightful even when uh, Michael Green, who wrote a book called The New Koreans, who was a reporter for the Washington Post and The Guardian, says this about religion in this nation. He says, the mission for today's religions in Korea, or for the next one, is to address the question of happiness. Isn't that interesting? Even this writer, who is not a believer, understands if there's one goal that the religion in Korea needs to be able to answer, it's to answer the question of happiness. Right? Hope. It's evident very, very clearly that something is very wrong here in the nation uh, that we live in. That we're all searching for hope. So where is this hope? This source? How do you not just be an exile, but how do you then become, in one sense, chosen, blessed? Where do you find this hope? The source of hope. Tell your neighbor, he is the hope. Even at home. 
Tell your neighbor he is the hope. He is the hope. And this is a reminder for all of us. Because often we find our hope in other things. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you see what He is saying? He's saying, as you are chosen exiles, or elect exiles, you are now longing for hope, you're searching for hope. He knows this, so that the first thing that he mentions in verse 3 is what they are longing to hear. This is where you find hope. We all long for hope. hope. The question is, how can we have it? And notice, Peter doesn't say, hope in the day when God brings you back. Peter doesn't say hope in the day when suffering will end. Because if he did that, he would be leading them to a dying hope, not a living hope. Right? The hope for us is not when Corona ends. That's something that we should pray for and long for. But if that's the ultimate end, it's just a matter of time till another disease. Something else takes upon our, our society. This is all a dying hope. And what Peter is trying to get his people to believe in is there is a better and greater sustained hope that you should all long for. This is the living hope. That's what he's talking about. The living hope. It's not a growing hope. He's contra- contrasting something that's living and something that's dying. You can hope in a way, you can hope in something that's dying, or you can hope in a way into, into something that is living. And this is radically different than what the world tells us. Because what the world will tell us always is, oh, don't worry, a better day is coming. Just press on. That's how the world does it. Just change your attitude. Right? Just believe it and it's going to happen. And that the way that the world tries to change and give us hope is to strengthen your heart. But Paul, but Peter does it very, very differently. He doesn't strengthen the heart. He changes the values of the heart. And he's saying, until you understand that these very things that you hope in are not the things that your heart will truly find its, its hope in, that it's all a dying hope, you need to understand there is a living hope. That word is a very interesting adjective. It's reminding us of the hope that is better. It's different. And this is how it's different. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable. right, Undefiled. Unfading. Right? It's, it's the idea of permanence. Of eternality. Right? Of purity. He's saying that is the hope you long for. Not just, a, not just healing or the end of disease. This is the better thing. This is the living hope. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then look, look at what he says. He says, in this you rejoice. This living hope, if you can understand this is your hope, this is actually where you find your joy as well. Because a living hope leads to a living joy. A dying hope leads to a dying joy. And that's our testimony. That's our experience. That job, that marriage, that child, all blessings, all good things. 
But you understand, it all fades in one sense. There's something that it doesn't truly satisfy the heart. Because a living hope leads to a living joy. A dying hope leads to a dying joy. And we see this very clearly as the coronavirus has now entered into most, uh, most continents, many countries. friend in Seattle is now uh, a pastor there. And he just put it on his Facebook that they're shutting down Sunday service and putting live stream there in the U.S. We see the frailty, the fragility of our bodies. We see the fragility, the frailty of the society that we live in. A friend of mine, a pastor in uh, Philadelphia, just shared with us that their kids normally take public transportation from school and back. But because of xenophobia, he's not going to school to pick them up for their safety. And in that you realize very, very quickly, when we as a society, we put a hope in a dying hope, there's a dying joy. And anything that, that's a threat to that now becomes our enemy. Uh, Jonathan Edwards mentioned this idea. When you put something above God and that being your ultimate hope, how eventually everything else becomes an enemy. And this is what he says, and this is Tim Keller summarizing Jonathan Edwards' idea. He says, if our highest goal in life is the good of our, of our family, then we will, we will tend to care less for other families. If our highest goal... It's a good of our nation, tribe, or race. Then we tend to be racist or nationalistic. If our ultimate goal in life is our own individual happiness, then we will put our own economic and, economic and power interests ahead of those of others. Edwards concludes that, the, the only, that only if God is our sumum bonum, our ultimate good, and life center, we will find our heart drawn out not only to people of all families, races, and classes, but to the whole world in general. What he's saying is, whatever you aim to, to make your ultimate hope, if it's not God, that thing will make everything else an enemy. I think that's what we see with even xenophobia. Right? If our ultimate goal, maybe people aren't, yeah, naturally, or maybe they're not, uh, have racial, uh, racist intentions. But because their health is the ultimate, now anything that's a threat to that is now perceived as an enemy. Right? In Korea, we see this not just with uh, this virus, but if you come to Korea, you start to see very, very quickly how important hard work is here in Korea. You start to see how important uh, education is, uh, the job that you get, the college that you go into, the company that you work in. And in this, it, 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 you see it very, very quickly when you make education the primary goal for a family and not God, quickly that that goal, that hope, becomes now an enemy to everything else. Where you see families now very quickly valuing education, but then quickly valuing education even more than their children. Right? That's, that's our experience for many of us. Uh, one writer uh, for the New York Times, as he writes about uh, the education crisis here in Korea, uh, says this, when I asked a family, when I asked a class if they were happy in this environment, one girl hesitantly raised her hand to tell me that she would only be happy if her mother was gone. Because of all her, all her mother knew was how to nag her about academic performance. And I think about that and how 
how, how strong these words are. That, that this daughter wants her mom, quote-unquote, gone, because all the mom does is nag the daughter about education, about studying. And I'm sure the mother has good intentions. But this is how you, you start to see very quickly, when God is not the ultimate, when education is the ultimate, when getting into that university is the ultimate, quickly that child that you love so dearly starts to feel like the enemy, the threat in one sense. And that's when you realize how important it is that this nation, the church, that we put our hope in God, because that hope is a living hope, and with that living hope is a living and ever-present joy. We see this with career, when you make career ultimate, everything else is now uh, an enemy against that. You'll sacrifice your family at the altar of your job. We see this with beauty here in Korea. When beauty is the ultimate, your body is now at the altar of beauty. And you'll do whatever it takes to be beautiful. You start to realize all these values that we have, not necessarily bad, but when it becomes ultimate, it kills us. It destroys us from within. And that is why Peter tells the people, don't hope in going back home, that's a good thing, but hope in God, in the greater home that is to come. Because that's a living hope, and with that you can have present day joy. Lastly, as you long for hope, as you try to figure out where this source of hope comes from, as you, as you know that it comes from God, there's now a power that you must understand. This power that comes from God and God Himself. This power of hope that is able to bring everything else back together. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may, may be found to result in praise and glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have to be able to see how powerful, how alive in one sense, this hope is. Because it's saying, all other hopes that we experience, it's a lack of hardship. We, we have hope when there's a lack of hardship. And what, what Peter is saying here, is a kind of hope that we have, anything you throw, throw to it, it only gets stronger. Because it can overcome and consume anything else that challenges it. That's God. He is living. He is alive. And this concept, or this, uh, this idea, it's not simply a concept. The way in which we have hope, it's not simply we think about it and we have faith. That's a part of it. But look at what he says. After he talks about this idea of hope, this concept of hope, he makes it personable. He makes it about a person. Verse 8, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, the way in which we as a people have faith. It's not simply conjuring up faith, just trying to believe. Yes, it is theological, but it's much more than that. He's saying the way that you do this is when you understand that that theology has become a person. 
And so you don't see him, you love him. You don't love a theology, you love a person. So you do not see him, you love him. And then he makes it even more explicit. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Today, when you look out into the world, when you go into the news, it's pretty bad. And the, the rest, the, the struggle will be, where is God? Where is He? Where is this hope? And for these believers, they believed Him when they didn't see Him. And then even now, when they don't see Him, Peter is saying, believe, but not just believe, love. Because this living hope, it's not simply a theological truth. It's a person who is alive. The heartbeat of hope never dies because Jesus still speaks. The heartbeat of hope doesn't die because He still comforts. He is here, He is alive, He is present. That is why, church, you can hope. We have a living hope and a living joy because our God is a living God. It's that God who became an outsider. He left heaven, became man. He was pushed to the edges, marginalized, crucified. And he became an, he was the insider who became an outsider so that we would not become insiders, which is what we long for. We want to be an insider. We want to be known, valued, loved. And in that God makes a way for that. So that now we can have a living hope. Because God is a living God. And everything else is dying. And Corona reminds us of that very, very clearly. That everything else will fade. God is here to stay. So He's calling you. Wherever you are. To come. To the one who has life. If you don't know, this is how the church grew here in Korea. Missionaries came in 1884. Immediately, they started schools and hospitals to care for, for those who are exiled in one sense, marginalized. They were the outsiders. But it's these missionaries that love the lower class. There's one instance of a story of a missionary crying over a victim of cholera, a very infectious disease. And in that, when people saw that their hope was not for their physical bodies or for that one life, when they realized that their hope was so much greater, that's when they were willing to risk their own life. Because God became an outsider so that we would become an insider to have this living hope that doesn't perish. When you read the stories of the church in China right now, especially in Wuhan, there's churches right now risking their life, uh, sending out um, meals, masks, sanitizing sprays, Chinese medicine, uh, other uh, supplies. And they're risking their life because they have the living hope. And they're willing to risk their own lives to give other people this living hope. Because our hope is not in this life, in this body. It's in the one to come that is imperishable, undefiled. And that's the one that, that we hope for. And so for church, you, I encourage you. It's easy to take a back seat and just take a break. But I challenge you and encourage you, pray. Because I believe God is in control. I believe God can use these live streams for people to, to, to even listen in. And, and through that, understand 
What they're looking for, what they're hoping for, is God and God Himself. So let's pray. Let's pray. As we think about all that's happening all around the world, we see very, very clearly our bodies are fragile. Our society is frail. Just one virus will change the whole flow of economics. People are concerned about their finances, their investments. And in that you start to realize very quickly, when you put your hope in something that's dying, your joy is also at risk. It's at this time, God calls you, God calls us, to put your hope in Him again. He is a living hope. He is the ever-present hope. Because He is the living God who gave up His life so that you would have hope, so that you would have joy. So can we pray for this nation, asking God, by His grace, grace through His Spirit, that for the church here, but also for this nation, that God would be our ultimate hope. That if we, if we have put our hope in things that are dying, for us to put our hope back in God again. Let's pray for this nation. Let's pray for the many who are just at home, waiting, waiting for this to ride out. For God to somehow bring them, bring them in. For them to understand what we long for is not for coronavirus to, to seize. The greater thing that we long for is for us to be with God again. Let's pray for this nation.